Yeah, thank you guys for being good sports. Uh, you know, Wanda let in the little, dirty little secret of motherhood and grandmotherhood, right? You do have your favorites, don't you? You do. You say you love them all the same. You know that's not true. You know that's not true. Hey, a uh, few things. May 16th is base camp. So don't forget that, parents and kids, that is a, a, a coordinated effort with Southbrook Kids and City Lights and Men's Ministry, May 16th, that is four to seven at Camp Chautauqua, make sure you check that out. Also, 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 we're shifting strategy around Southbrook Serves a little bit. Southbrook Serves once a month, we just use Sundays when everybody's coming here anyway to bring even perishable food, that's, that's why we do the delivery that day because we can expand the the uh, list out to perishable items, and we feed, right now we're feeding about 55 families that would struggle having enough food. That's right. So that's next Sunday. So that, that you can go in the atrium as soon as you're done and say, I want to either one or two things. You either be a shopper where you bring the food here when you come next Sunday, or you're a deliverer where you come, and then when you leave, you pick it up and you take it to the family. So make sure you do that before you leave. We realize that some of you go, oh, I forgot, and it's, and it's Sunday of Southbrook Serves, and, and then you got to rush out or you can't do it because you have plans or whatever. So make sure that if you want to be a part of that, God has blessed you, that you're a blessing to families in our area who could just have an immediate, immediate impact. Also, um, we want you to know that, that today is, because it's Mother's Day, we have some special things. We had food trucks, even though the, the weather was not really food truck weather. We have food trucks out there. We have some things with a floral arrangement you can do with Sweet Virginia Flowers. We have a photo opportunity for you and, and mom or significant uh, female in your life. So make sure that you take advantage of that day. Hang around a little bit. We'll have some music. And then also, especially in light of today's message and teaching, you may leave here today and, and it, it may hit you that the, the most important entity in the world that you will agree with us is the local church because the local church in essence is a brokerage firm of what I'm gonna talk about today. We are a brokerage firm of meaning and hope. And when you hear what we're gonna talk about in the next few minutes, uh, it, it might hit you again. There are a lot of places where people, you can give that people get fed, people get clothed. Not just the church, but the kingdom of Jesus is the eternal kingdom. We're doing more than wallpaper in the Titanic around here. We are, we are saying when the iceberg hits, there is an option. There is an option that is unsinkable. And so make sure that you go to your push pay app and you say, I want to be a part of giving my treasures to heaven because your heart goes where your treasures go. Do you know that? Wherever you invest, I could look at your checkbook and I could tell you what's most important to you, your checkbook and your calendar. And so make sure you invest in that today because that's where you want your heart to be. 10 years ago on April 16th, uh, my mom died. And uh, this interesting person, she was never old, you know? And she's just one of those people that was never old. And one of the things that many of us have learned about Mother's Day is we don't have to idealize our mothers, right? It's, it, the requirement for honoring is not equated to idealize your mother, even though she had these immense flaws or whatever. You don't have to do that to honor your mother. And I had a very complicated relationship with my mom. Uh, she was abused as a child, so she did not like or trust men. And for some reason, she didn't like preachers. 
I was screwed from the get-go, friends, okay? I was in trouble from the get-go. And so uh, while she loved me and everything, it was, it was just complicated. And I didn't realize until my good friend Gary Sweeten helped me understand how much I'd lived my life to get her approval. Well, she died in 2011. I never got her approval. I never got her approval. Um, and that makes this day complicated for a lot of us, doesn't it? It does. It's, it's, it's a rich day, but it's a complicated day. Um, my mom died in 2011. My dad died in 2009, and I, I got the privilege of doing the funeral for my mom and my dad. And at my dad's funeral, I did this long list of just, thank you, dad. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. And what I learned from that is don't wait till your parents die before you do that, Right? And so my mom in uh, March of 2011 is at her condo and I'm going over. It's my day to go over and kind of take care of her. And I go to visit her and uh, I had made up this list because I learned the lesson. Don't wait till she dies and read this at her funeral. And she had aphasia. She was lying in her bed and she could hear me, but she couldn't respond because the brain cancer had really taken its toll. She would die less than a month later. And I just read this to her. I said, thank you, mom, for reading Bible stories to me. My love for scripture started with you at nine o'clock in my, uh, my bedside because I loved the way she read the stories. Thank you, mom, for playing softball into your 50s. I was always proud of my mom that she played softball and did it so well, and I never forgot the one game we played together, church softball league game together. Who gets to play with their mom? Thank you, mom, for playing the piano at our church for 30 years. You modeled whatever I have embraced about faithfulness to serve Jesus and the primacy of his church. Thank you, mom, for letting me buy baseball cards, even when I bribed you and said, I'm going to steal them if you don't buy them for me. (laughs) Thank you, mom, for supporting me in all my crazy, diverse interests. Most especially, you were always the one that was at my games. Thank you, Mom, for decorating our house with those red candles at Christmas. They breathed on them. They fell off the mantle. Thank you, Mom, for taking me to Dr. Adams when I was really sick and letting that sadistic nurse put her evil needle in my butt to make me better. Tough love. Thank you, Mom, for your meals. I loved your food. I loved your food, and I now know you didn't enjoy cooking, though I didn't know it then. How many of you moms are faking it? Are you faking it? Some of you aren't even faking it. Um, but I can't eat soup, beans, and cornbread without thinking of you. Do any of you have a meal that you go, every time I eat this, I think of my mom, right? Yeah. She used to fix soup, beans, and cornbread, good, good carbs before every one of my games. I farted a lot, but I played really well, you know? Uh, Uh, thank you, Mom. I'll never forget the tears when I came home covered in blood. Mrs. Walker brought me home because she nearly ran over me when I wrecked my bike in front of her car. And I'll never forget the love on your face. Thank you, Mom, for simply modeling, hanging in there when the going got tough. And when you were at the end of the rope, you always tied a knot. Thank you, Mom, for clothing us in good clothes and for sewing them when they were ready to last, uh, not to last anymore, but they would last longer. And you had great taste. Thank you, Mom, for letting me use your car to go on dates and go play ball for endless hours. And thank you for not disowning me when I drove that car into the Muskingum River that one time. Um, But here's the thing. Thank you, Mom, most of all, for loving Jesus. 
And I know this is, you know, I know I sound like a Hallmark card up here. Believe me, I'm not. And I know it sounds preacherish to say this. But the more you grow in your faith, the more you realize the best thing as a mom you can give your kids is Jesus Christ. It's the best thing. And so my mom, my mom, when she died on April 16, 2011, I know pretty certainly that she would have considered herself a failure. All five of us kids very, took very circuitous routes, I'll put it that way, back to Jesus. But nearly every week, my four siblings and I have group text messages to each other, and it's all around Jesus because all five of her kids love Jesus today. All five. And we, you know, we are five sinners broken by a lot of the things that were passed down through her generationally, truthfully. And yet, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people to me, Jesus said. And in her life, in her way, she, she showed us so many things about Jesus. And moms, I want to talk to you about that today. I know on Father's Day, we preach at dads. On Mother's Day, we never preach at moms. We just honor them. I'm going to preach at you, moms. Are you ready for that? I'm going to preach at you, okay? Uh, because it's game on right now. You ever thought about the fact that if there is no God, motherhood is basically meaningless? We know there's meaning to motherhood, right? I mean, there's just, like, I have, I, have I, I don't know half of it, but we know there is. But if there is no God, then just picture this. Picture Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. You are in your cabin and you're cooking meals and, and you're, you're, you're washing clothes on the Titanic, okay? If there is no God, enjoy the ride, you know, Help them with their ACT scores that they're going to take on the Titanic, but it's going to hit an iceberg any moment. It's not going to matter. You ever thought about that? Probably not. Probably didn't want to think about that on Mother's Day, to be truthful. <laughs> but the, the question is coming up, especially in this generation, what is the point? What is the point? And in an era where we at Southbrook are seeing a lot of parents, but particularly moms, who are realizing I have cared more that my kids get into Harvard than heaven and something's got to change. I care more and I've invested more in college than in Christ with my life. Something has to change. This day is important. This day is important because without Christ, that college degree has is a cul-de-sac. At some point, it's going to be, where are we going with this? And that's why many of you are here. There's a journal written about existentialism in the Bible. This is one of my favorite books. As a matter of fact, there have been times in history when certain church leaders didn't want this book to be in the Bible because it asked tough questions. You know it is the book of Ecclesiastes. And look at these words where Solomon has gone through 11 chapters of saying, intellectualism, I pursued it, the pursuit of knowledge. Hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure, I pursued it. Uh, materialism, the pursuit of stuff, possessions, I pursued it. I did it all. And what is this all? What, 37 times in the book, what does he say? Meaningless. Meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. And he gets to the end of his journal of, of cynicism and pessimism of, of what it's like to just live in the, the euphemism he uses is life under the sun. Like there is no God. Outside of God, this is the, the, the metaphor he uses, under the sun, here it is. 
And look at the conclusion of the matter. Light is sweet. And it pleases the eyes to see the sun. So he's saying it's good to live and see the sun. How many of you would love to see the sun today? Yes, we would love to see the sun today. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Okay, it's not going to happen. However many years humans may live, let them enjoy them all. Now, it's a real interesting thing. If there is no God, you better wear a mask and gloves and you better be bubble boy and bubble girl, but you better exercise, but not too much. And you better eat right, but not too much. And you better do all the things that make you live long enough because that's all you got. That's all you have. There's nothing more. So if there is no God, and, and I mean, you better protect yourself and you better, you know, you better invest in Botox and you better invest in gyms and you better make sure you're eating bark and branches all the time and not high in carbs and all that. I mean, you better, because that's all you got, right? So that's why we see people who, that's their life. That Their life is about just living in fear because the 80 years they got here, that's it. And they intuitively know it. That's it. And then you're food for worms, and then you're food for worms. So let them enjoy them all, he says. Let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear all this good news? Isn't it great? Yeah. So what he says. So here's the famous word. That's the last verse of chapter 11. Here's chapter 12. So remember your creator when you get old and you've sowed your wild oats. Is that what it says? That's not what it says, is it? It says, that's how we think. I'm gonna live my life, and then at the end, I'm gonna buy the insurance policy from the church that says I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm gonna cash in, but I'm gonna live like how I want. And Solomon says, haven't experienced everything intellectually, uh, hedonistically, materially that life could offer. He says, here what I'll tell you. You do that, you miss God, you miss life. You, met, you remember your creator in the days of your youth. That's right. Before the days of trouble come. I have found this to be true. And I want to see for those of you who are chronologically gifted like I am, how many of you believe this is true? That as you get older, life gets harder and it gets richer. Generally speaking, how many of you would agree with that? So if you're 60, you're old. Yeah. 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 If you're 59, you're young. Okay? So this is, you know, so you're, if, if you're, you are chronologically gifted, how many would you agree? Life gets harder and it gets richer too. Would you agree with that? It, it, it is, it happens. It's just like there's a richness that comes, but boy, it's not getting any easier. It's not. As Art Linkletter used to say, aging's not for sissies. Okay? It's, it's not. It's, it gets, it's tough, man. And he says, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. He's very realistic about the, the, the reality that life, you know, Solomon talks about life's brevity. It's like a weaver's shuttle. And before you know it, if without God, you've missed God, you've missed life. What he's really saying, it's really important you understand this. What he's saying is, especially to you students, and you young moms, value this life while you can. Uh, when you're a teenager, I understand that you think you can do anything and you do. Your 20s are a blur. Your 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money and you think, what happened to my 20s? Am I right or am I right or am I right? Your 40s, you grow a little pot belly, you get a second chin, 
the music starts getting too loud and one of your girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. Anybody ever have that happen? Yeah. Your 50s, you have a minor surgery. You call it a procedure, but it's surgery, okay? It's surgery. Your 60s, you have major surgery. The music is still too loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anymore. Your 70s, you and the wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. You eat dinner at two o'clock in the afternoon. You eat lunch at 10, breakfast the night before. You wander around the mall looking for the ultimate and soft yogurt. And then in your 80s, you'll have a stroke and you'll wind up babbling with some Jamaican nurse whom your wife can't stand, but you call mama. Any questions, <laughs> right? I just had to do that. I mean, when you're, when you're talking about, I mean, that's, that's, that's Ecclesiastes. What I just riffed is everything you ever needed to know about life, you learn from city slickers, okay? That's just everything you ever needed to know. Anyhow, I digress. So the point of that is, is that life's gonna go by and you thought, I'll be really smart. I'll have everything in pleasure and I'll have everything that possession-wise life offers and then I will have lived a life. And Solomon goes, no. That degree from Harvard, it's not gonna mean anything. I had a friend who's a graduate of Harvard today. <laughs> you tell him. I mean, you just tell him. And, and Solomon, he goes on to say, hey, listen, that the answer though is you remember your creator that God is the reality that affects all other realities. Like if, you're, if the sermon is in a sentence today, it's this one. Motherhood, the reality of motherhood is affected by the God reality more than any other reality. That's why as moms, make sure you're modeling loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Why? Because it's that reality that will define your children more than any other reality you give them. And their 32 on an ACT score isn't gonna matter someday. But that will matter. That will matter. You see, in Jesus Christ, we have two definitive impacts of the questions that is asked by Solomon. The two questions that are asked by Solomon is what, is, what, what, is, what, what matters about life and what, what happens in death? And it's really fascinating to me that God gives this in the Bible and then he comes along in Jesus Christ and says, hey, listen, because I live, you shall live also. We have hope in death. You're never gonna be comfortable about life until you're comfortable with death. You're never going to be able to really enjoy life. That's why Hebrews 2.9 says that Jesus came to free those who all their lives were held in captivity by their fear of death. Until you have been able to see because I live, you shall live also. And you can face that with confidence. You're never really gonna enjoy anything in life, truthfully, because there's always that shadow. I think we saw in the last year a culture that is so, so afraid of, of death. And so we have that hope. And then the, but the other thing is we have meaning to life that he comes in and he says, I make all things work together for good to those who love me and been called according to his purposes so that you can be conformed to the image of his, my son. So everything in life that happens to me, the, the, the beautiful notes and the hard, bad notes of life, they blend together to make this music that's God. H.G. Wells once said, until a man has found God, he begins at no beginning and he ends at no end. So imagine this, imagine that you're standing on the edge of Niagara Falls 
and you're about to walk across on a tightrope across Niagara Falls, and, and you've trained, but I mean, you're ready to go, but as you do that, the person next to you who's sending you off says, hey, I just want you to know before you walk across there that it's not attached really well at the other end. And oh, by the way, I'm not sure about how well attached it is either, but enjoy the ride. You'd be crazy to take one step, wouldn't you? You'd be crazy. And this culture that you're living in right now, through, mostly through popular art, is telling, and through a lot of education, telling kids, we don't know where you come from, and we don't know where you're going, but enjoy life. Get that degree. Do really well in your ACT. No wonder there are students that are going, what is the point? What is the point? I had a mom tell me this week, she was talking to her 19-year-old daughter, and she asked her, so why do you and your friends, why do you have no plans for the, why, why have you had no plans for the future? And she said, mom, it's because we didn't plan on being alive. We didn't plan on being alive. We planned on taking our own lives. That, and you say, wait a minute. That's, that's not, that, that's, that's not reality for a lot. It's reality for a lot of emerging, of the emerging generation. What's the point? Many of us remember the actor and director Woody Allen. Woody Allen is known for his dark humor, you know, his, his kind of pessimistic view of life. Well, it's based on the reality that Woody Allen is an atheist and he has a very nihilistic viewpoint of life. Most of his movies have focused on humanity's search and longing for meaning and transcendent truth. And he once stated his belief that after the search for truth is concluded, humanity is left with a very real predicament, alienation, loneliness, emptiness, verging on madness. And he did a movie one time he directed and acted in called Play It Again, Sam. And he plays the role of a confused divorcee who is also lonely, and in his loneliness and insecurity, he is desperately trying to pick up women. Now, Woody Allen plays well the character that is not exactly Tom Cruise in his looks, right? And so it just plays, it just plays comedically, comedically. And at a museum, at a modern art one time, he approaches a very beautiful young woman who is admiring a work of Jackson Pollock, the, the famous artist who would just, you know, drip paint everywhere, and then that was art, right? And here's the, here's the dialogue. And this is, this is our present generation right here. Woody Allen's character. What do you see in this? The woman. It reinstates the negativeness of existence, nothingness, the hideous, lonely emptiness of the universe. The predicament of man forced to live in a godless, barren eternity like a tiny flame flickering in an immense void with nothing but waste, horror, and degradation, forming a useless, bleak straitjacket in a black, absurd cosmos. And Woody Allen nodding in agreement. He's, he's nodding in agreement. He looks at the painting. And he says, well, what are you doing Saturday night? <laughs> she says, committing suicide. And he says, well, what are you doing Friday night? Welcome to the life without God. We better go out Friday night. And we better grab all the gusto we can because nobody knows if this thing's attached or not on both ends. I mean, 
You think about it. Educationally, we have raised generations now. You didn't come from anything. You're the, you're, you're the accident of a process that basically says nothing was involved, but it was just the right fish with the right fins that turned into legs that allowed you to walk. And we don't know where you're going because as far as we know that you're just food for worms when you die. There's nothing at the end. No wonder life's boiled down to But what are you doing Friday night then? But we have hope in death and we have meaning in life. And even though, even though he raises questions of intellectualism and hedonism and materialism, look at this, look at this. As a mom, as a person, I can look at my child's pursuit of knowledge and say, it's not just about getting in to Harvard, that the pursuit of knowledge is about heaven getting into my child, that every single thing my child learns about geography and geology and biology and photography and whatever elseography you want to use, that it is about learning about their creator who loved them so much that he sent his only son to die for them. Like everything, hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure, pleasures aren't just ends in themselves and their means to escape No, they're temporary diversions from reality that this is a difficult world and I can enjoy certain things in life, but it's my life isn't, my life isn't all about pleasure. I am able to face pain. I'm able to live it out. That's right. Not numb from it, but live within that context because I understand the role of pleasure. Life's not about the pursuit of possessions because he who dies with the most toys wins because if there's no other God, that's really what it's about, right? No, now possessions are something that in the words of scripture, he gave us all things for our enjoyment so that we might also then share that with other people. And life takes on this incredible purpose. So look at what Solomon says. He goes, he says, remember your creator. Not when you're old so that you just cash in on the life insurance policy. Or as W.C. Fields once said when he was caught reading a Bible one day, somebody said, W.C., you're reading the Bible. He said, I know, I'm cramming for finals. You know, so, so God doesn't get digressed down to this, 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 this spare tire at the end, you know, that he's my, he's my spare tire. And when I get a flat tire someday, no, he says, he says, but remember him before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. That's, that is your mind gets foggy. Your memory starts going. Big deal is in our culture is dementia. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, that's your legs. How many of you, your legs just aren't what they used to be, right? They just aren't what they used to be. When the grinders cease because there are few, anybody had any teeth fall out of their head lately? And those looking through the windows grow dim, your eyesight starts going, and and, uh, that's a picture of cataracts. When the doors to the street are closed... And the sound of grinding fades. This is the ear, you know, that you don't hear like you used to. But look at this. When men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. Isn't that funny? And when you get older, like a bird can wake you up, but you can't hear your wife. You ever notice that? Like you, like you, like this, the, the, you sleep so lightly and you can just hear anything, but you, but you, but you had a select memory. I love the guy who was sitting out on the porch with his wife of 65 years. And she looked over at him and she said, I love you. He said, huh? She said, I love you. He went, huh? She said, I love you. He said, I'm tired of you too, he said. 
It's a really weird thing that happens, you know, you just, you just, you can hear the birds, but you can't hear your wife. When men are afraid of heights and dangers in the street. How many of you who used to have that 68 Camaro and you drag raced it, now you go, you know, your granddaughter's driving 40 in a 25 and you go, slow down, will you please? And the grasshopper, this is funny, the grasshopper drags himself along and desire is no longer stirred. How do I say this? This is the Viagra verse of scripture is what I'm telling you. I'm just teaching the Bible here, people. But that's what it is. That's what it is. Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. He goes, he just paints this picture of in your 20s, it's this, and 30s, this, 40s. And, it's, but, and some of you are saying, I'm gonna wait till I, I'm gonna, we're gonna raise the kids raised and then we're gonna prioritize Christ in our life. We're gonna get the kids out of the house. We're gonna get all these things done and then we're gonna make God the primacy of our life. And he says, no. If you do that, someday you'll look back and you'll go, we missed life. Because we fell for the values our culture teaches it's all about the degree, and it's all about getting the scholarship, and it's all about the house, all about the car. It's all... No, it's not. Without God, all of those things are eventually a cul-de-sac. They have a finite power. And that's why he says meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Uh, here's the conclusion of the matter. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. He, He's saying, when he says that, he's saying that the reality of God is the reality that affects all other realities in your life. Do not forget that. Because otherwise, we are just rearranging the furniture on and re-wallpapering and modeling the Titanic. That's all we're doing. I was reading an article about one of my favorite actresses is Patricia Heaton. I really like her. She's funny. And um, I have a picture of her. She uh, is most known for Everybody Loves Raymond. And I, we, Sharon and I used to love the show The Middle. Anybody ever watch The Middle? It was about this family that lived in Indiana. And it was just a funny show. And interesting connection. I grew up in Ohio and uh, as a Cleveland sports fan. And I used to read the sports pages, especially when we would go to Cleveland. My dad had to go to Cleveland a lot, and then we'd go to games sometimes. And I would read the sports pages of Chuck Heaton. Well, that was her dad. I didn't realize this until a few years ago. Her dad was Chuck Heaton, who was the most uh, well-known sports writer in Cleveland in the 60s and 70s, probably. And he used to write for The Plain Dealer. She said that uh, she and her siblings lived a, an ideal American dream until her mother died suddenly when Patricia was only 12 years of age. Suddenly she died. The light of her life was gone. And she says that for her, Mother's Day is a complicated day. It is a difficult day for her still to this point. And the loss sent her reeling into anger and depression that she said she kept it kind of encased for a number of years but by the time she got into her 20s, she went through a deep rebellion against the God who let this happen. And she just threw off all of the values of her youth. And she went into a partying lifestyle, just hedonism, materialism, everything you could do. And through years of grief and depression, though, she said one day, God broke through. The God that my mother had modeled broke through. That door of faith was always open. 
I didn't always step into it, but one day I did. And look what she wrote. She wrote these words. I want people to see my joy in Christ, even when I face depression. Now, here's somebody who has all the world has to offer, right? Success, money, acclaim. What we do here is important, and yet it's all very fleeting in comparison to eternity. Christ guaranteed we would have problems as soon as we start following him, which he did. He didn't say, follow me and your life will be rosy. He said, follow me and some people are going to hate you for that. But also that there would be some meaning in these things. If you give your life to God, he doesn't promise you happiness and that everything will go well. But he does promise you peace, that you can have peace and joy. And I think peace and joy are a byproduct of that settled meaning that no matter what happens in my life, I have hope in death and I have meaning in life. No matter what life takes from me, life cannot take from me my hope in death and my meaning that everything in my life, God never wastes a single thing. He never wastes a single thing. Not a pain, not a pleasure. I remember years ago, I was reading, so I was reading that article about Patricia Heaton, and then it made me think about, years ago, somebody shared this, and I remember who it was, that you can look at life one of two ways. You can look at life through colors, or you can look at life through music. And the, and the colors way of seeing life is, is you take two colors. So let's take yellow and red, and if you blend yellow and red together, what do you get? You get orange. If you're painting and the yellow is dry, and the red is painted over, you get red. It just paints right over it, correct? And so one of the ways that you can live life is you just sort of hope that the meaningful things are so strong it blots out this constant nagging that all of us will have as long as we walk on this earth. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Like, there's, so we hope there's just enough Jesus in your life that you'll never feel meaningless ever again. And many of us have walked with Christ long enough to know that's not true, is it? Even in Christ, you're going to have moments where you go, oh my gosh, what is the point of cancer? Was our divorce not painful enough for you, God, that you, 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 you got to let one of us get? I mean, just, you know, you're, you're always going to have that mystery of the random things that happen. But somebody said this. That they thought life, and I think this is what Solomon is saying, life is more like music. So you take these two distinct notes. I don't know a lot about music, but I do know this. You take these two, two distinct notes, and, and one of them is a hard, sour note. One of them is a, just a beautiful note. And you bring them together. They don't cancel each other out. They don't lose their distinctiveness. They both in space exist in that moment where they are struck together. They blend to make a chord. And a chord is what makes music. And I want to tell you young people in particular, and you young mothers, you're going to have bad notes. And you're going to have good notes. And you don't have to live your life hoping that the bad notes are drowned out by the good notes, because they're not. To lose a child will be painful whether Jesus is your Savior or not. Amen? It is. It doesn't mean it's going to be painless. But what it does mean is that when you walk with him, he presents a reality where people look at your life and they go, I want what my mom had. 
I want the music of her life. She loved God with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. She loved her neighbor. She loved herself. And, and she did that even when she was at the end of her rope. She did that even when she was in pain. And she kept on doing it. And that's the music I want my life to be. And I think that's what God does. I think that's what he does. I came to Christ myself because of meaninglessness. That's what drove me to Christ. What, what is this all about? And today I can barely stand the meaning that I have in my life. And you can too. You can too. And he makes a wonderful melody, doesn't he? He does. So let me pray for you moms and grandmoms. For those of you who are, wish you were moms and you're not, for those of you who are moms and you wish you weren't right now, <laughs> and we just wanna lift you up. Hey, hey guys, am I right? Thank God for the women in our lives, right? Amen, amen. I just saw someone back there telling her husband to clap. She's giving her husband a clap. So we thank God for you. And I know our relationship with you can often be complicated, but man, you show us a part of Jesus that is amazing. So we want to lift you up today, Lord. Thank you for our gathering today. Thank you for roofs that hold off rain. Thank you for music. Thank you for Abby and Kyle and Wanda and Darla stories that remind us of how rich life is. But thank you most of all, especially for those of us who are raised by moms who love Jesus, that the greatest gift is the transcendent hope and meaning in this life that Jesus Christ offers. Only one who could say, I was dead and I'm alive now forevermore. And whoever lives and believes in me will never really die. Will never really die. Thank you on this Mother's Day for how meaningful life really, really is. And in Jesus' name, we wished a great day for all moms and all women here today. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. See you next week, everybody.